Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today I have with me Rachel, who I've only actually just met. She very kindly emailed me out the blue to tell me about her transformational experience with taking HRT, which included testosterone, actually. So welcome, Rachel, to the podcast today. Hello. Hi. Nice to meet you. So I get lots of emails from lots of women, lots of messages through social media. And they're one of the reasons that makes me work so hard, actually, because I realise the more I expose myself, the more people access me or my team, the more I realise how many people are suffering, not just in the UK, but worldwide because of their inability to just reclaim their own hormones, actually. None of this is rocket science. None of this is complicated medicine. None of this is dangerous prescribing, but it has become this real cloak and dagger specialty that people can't talk about. People can't access treatment. And, you know, women are really suffering. And I do think there's a lot of gender inequality problems as well here. So I'd be really keen and delighted, Rachel, if you could just set the scene and start your story and just tell us a bit about what happened and then why you got in touch with me. Okay, yeah, of course. I think my journey really goes back about five years. I was a very much um, an all-action girl. I'm one of these women. I run in the mountains. I rock climb. I mountain bike. I've done quite a few endurance races in my time, running races, caving, mine exploration, like anything. I'll give it a go. Girl scrambling. I'm just like an all-action girl. And my job, I'm a specialist teacher. I work with children with social, emotional, mental health problems, but I take their learning outdoors. Wow. And try and improve academic progress and social emotional mental health in an outdoor environment and this is quite a physical job you're outdoors all day you're lugging stuff in and out of woodlands and about five years ago I started to get a few soft tissue injuries both my hips I got bursitis in both my hips I got plantar fasciitis I got a shoulder injury that required a steroid injection I'm coming from work and I just spend about two hours just literally sitting um, not being able to do anything at all. And how old were you then, Rachel, when that happened? I was about 45, 46. Yeah, I'm 50 now. Nearly 51. It's a bit scary. I don't know how that's happened. <laughs> I go out for bike rides and I'd start uh, bonking when I was out bike riding. And that's not what people in Britain normally think of as bonking. It's when your body just stops. It's almost like when you're extremely hungry and you suddenly can't move. And I was just getting all these weird things happening to me over a period of time. And then in about 2017, my period started going absolutely haywire, really heavy, clotting twice monthly. That went on for quite some time. And then I managed to get a coil fitted about six months after that. And that transformed my periods. It took about six months, I'd say, for that to settle down. So that was a marina coil, was yeah, it? That marina contains coil. a synthetic progestogen to thin the lining of the womb and then women often don't have periods so it's great if you're having heavy periods so that's good yeah yeah and it meant I could go out sometime you know I was struggling some days to leave the house because things were so bad but then in about 2018 my mood started to decline I became quite tearful I just cried just randomly crying at nothing at all and that's not me at all you know I've always been really strong and independent and capable and I'd you know, think nothing of driving off by myself 
to the Lake Districts. I'm an hour's drive away and go running and come home. You know, I'm just I'm map reading by myself. But suddenly I was finding my world was getting a lot smaller. I was feeling a little bit anxious about doing things. And then from 2018, probably after I had my coil fitted, my body just rapidly declined. And by January 2019, my body had completely stopped. I was like a shell. Um, so it's quite emotional. Um, sure. I couldn't leave the house. I could hardly walk. Even talking was an effort. I had to leave my job other than I work for a charity. So the work I do is for a charity. So my boss has been absolutely amazing. I mean, I've dropped most of my hours, but I do 14 hours a week. And I'm still only doing 14 hours a week, but slowly ramping up, doing admin and management stuff and leading one of the projects. So I can do that from home and I can spread my hours over five days. So I was at that point. I've actually written down on my symptoms. I've never done it before that I had at this time. I had what I call beyond fatigue. Like it wasn't just a bit tired. I can't go for a run anymore. I was struggling to walk down the street. I remember trying to play cards with my husband and son and I couldn't even lifting my body forwards to put the cards on the table, my body was shuddering and shaking. It just didn't want to do it. I was having to force that action. I had constant pain and tiredness in my head and my eyes. Vertigo, I had vertigo a few times, not continuously, but I get bouts of it. I always felt a bit lopsided, like I was, yeah, like I was slightly at an angle. And if I moved quickly, I suppose that might have been part of vertigo, but that was all the time. Very dry mouth eyes swelling and going between running and really dry all the time. My hands stopped functioning. I couldn't open lids anymore on jars. Constant internal tremors, headaches, electric shock sensations in my pelvic area, gum problems. I was in and out of the dentist. Migraines, never had migraines in my life before. Blood sugar was absolutely haywire. I was going from shaking because I needed to eat to I'd eat and then I'd just have to sleep after eating. And I did have a couple of high blood sugar blood tests with the doctor, but I'm not diabetic. Recurrent candida infections. Sorry, this list is massive. <laughs> Night sweats. My digestion wasn't functioning properly. My resting heart rate dropped down to 40 beats a minute. I have vaginal atrophy, urinary urgency, and I felt pretty ill as well like every cell in my body felt it sounds really dramatic and a bit like I'm a hypochondriac but it felt like every cell in my body was pretty rotten it's really hard to explain it and all my muscle just disappeared like from being really strong and physical I had like old lady legs you know where little old ladies in nursing homes and their legs just there's just nothing there that's where I was at so very very scary actually all these symptoms really and scary. did you see any healthcare professionals presumably you did I have been in and out of the doctor's surgery it's just been ridiculous and the number of blood tests I've had done I've been in and out in and out and not one GP not one doctor mentioned perimenopause to me not one and what do they think was happening to you did you have a diagnosis or a working diagnosis at all I went through infectious diseases endocrinology, immunology. I've had a brain MRI. I've had an ECG because I was getting palpitations. Mm -hmm. I forgot to mention that. Loads and loads of blood tests and everything's come back clear. Everything's come back normal. So in February 2020, I actually wrote to the GP surgery because I was on my knees 
my husband I, I feel so sorry for what he and my son have been through it this is often not talked about is the Absolutely. impact on partners so important. and my heart breaks for what he has gone through my husband and actually it has had a profound effect on him mm. he's happy for me to discuss it but he's just come out of a period of depression as a direct result of what he's seen me go through like his life partner we've been together 30 years going from this all action independent woman down to an absolute shell I couldn't socialize I couldn't drive my car I couldn't do anything mm-hmm. yeah so I wrote to my surgery can I just read what I wrote is that okay absolutely yeah of course you can I won't read the whole thing just a couple of bits I said I'm struggling with day-to-day life to the point that I've had to change my job cut back my hours and I'm unable to partake in many aspects of life I feel very sick at the moment and I'm now considering having to stop work altogether. You will see from my records that I've made several visits to different GPs and have many blood tests. I'm still no closer to an answer. There's been no diagnosis. What's been particularly difficult is that there is no continuity of care at all. I feel this is essential for me and my health. This would enable a medical professional to look at my case holistically, hopefully get to the root cause and define a plan for recovery. Please can you make let me know what can be done to make this happen. I know I am not well and I'm concerned that something has been missed. This is especially important for me as it's impacting on my ability to work, be a mum and function in general in society. After being so fit and healthy for the preceding 47 years, I'm not prepared to accept a lack of diagnosis. I wrote that to my surgery. I don't know what it's like in most practices, but you just see different GP after different GP and most of them are... They're not practice GPs. They're the temporary ones that are brought in, most of them. So you just seen GP after GP. And I got a, I actually got a letter back, and it's from a GP who is really, really highly regarded, mm. very highly regarded. He's the one everybody wants to see at the surgery because he's amazing. Yeah. First of all, he said he couldn't provide continuity of care mm. for me. And then secondly, he said, My suggestion would be to consider referring you to a chronic fatigue service, as this would seem, based on all your results and consultations I've reviewed today, to be the most likely diagnosis. So I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. So I think many of you listening probably know where this conversation is going, otherwise Rachel wouldn't be here talking on a (laughs) menopause website. And, um, you know, I feel like crying and screaming at the same time, actually, Rachel, because I've heard stories similar to yours so often. And I can see what's happened. Many of you listening could have seen what's happened, but it's no individual's fault. But there's lots of ways that really can improve so this doesn't happen again. So clearly you're not like this now, which is fantastic. But just tell me sort of what made the penny drop for you to be able to realise what was going on? It was probably in, it's about spring 2020, I was reading the news on my phone and there was an article was on there by a woman called Emily Barclay, who was a triathlete and she hadn't been able to do any sport at all. And she was having to sleep in the daytime. That's, that's the other thing I was having to do a lot mm. of. And she couldn't do any competition anymore. And hers was perimenopause. And I, I remember sitting there saying to my husband, I think that's me. I think I must be in perimenopause. So I thought, great, I can do something about it. And I went, I got an appointment with my GP, yet another appointment with my GP. And the GP sat there and I cannot believe now what he did. Again, he was another locum GP. I asked if I could trial HRT. He literally pushed his chair away from the table, threw his hands in the air and told me that it was too dangerous for women to go on HRT 
and he would not prescribe it to me. And I mean, I'm quite an assertive person normally, but I was absolutely gobsmacked. I didn't know what to say in that appointment. I went away and he, oh, sorry, he sent me to a self-help website for night sweats. Dear. Yeah. So then what happened? He reconfirmed my chronic fatigue syndrome as well. But it's weird once they hear fatigue and you've got this label of chronic fatigue mm. syndrome, that's all they focus on. They don't listen to anything else at all. Well, my experience, sorry. I'm sure not all GPs are the same. So I then went and asked for a second opinion. And this is in the midst of feeling so ill, like I was having to drag myself out of the house to get there. And even talking to them, I was having to force myself to have these conversations with them. And they actually put me in for an appointment with the practice nurse who was amazing she looked at me she listened to me she went on her computer and said okay yeah I I just use this flow chart here yeah you need this you need this and I walked away with a prescription for HRT patches a low dose Mm. a low dose and they made no difference at all so I thought oh no what's going on Maybe it isn't perimenopause. So I tried to get an increase in my estrogen and that was refused. So then I actually paid to talk to a menopause educator. She's not a GP, she's an educator. And she writes a lovely report that then goes to a GP. Mm. And she did that for me. So I've had to pay privately for that. And um, I feel very, very lucky that I'm in a position where I can do that. And did that help? Yes, I had an increase to three pumps. By that time, I'd gone on to estrogel because Mm. the patches were in short supply. So then I was increased to three pumps and then that had a small impact. And then I was moved on to four pumps. And within about two or three days of being on four pumps of gel, I was starting to sing a bit again. I always sing in my head and I sing, you know, I'm one of these people, if I hear a word, I'll start singing a song linked to that word. It's just what I do. And I remember saying to my sisters, I feel like there's a little bit of life and a bit of warmth coming back into my body finally. But that's as far as it went, this little bit of warmth, Mm. a little bit of energy. Yeah. And I was so weak at this point because I'd done so little. I, I remember trying to do a very simple restorative yoga class on Zoom with my old yoga teacher. And I couldn't even do the pulling your arm across your body. I was just, yeah, I was so, so weak at that stage. And I was having to rest four or five times a day just to get through the day still. So I was still, a lot of my other symptoms went though. So that was the good thing. It was the fatigue that remained and this general sense of sickness that was all through my body, which is really hard to explain. Mm. Oh, and at that time I got um, shingles as well. I think my body was so run down, I ended up with shingles. So I'm talking loads on time. That is very interesting. So you had your oestrogen, which is one of the female hormones. And as for a lot of women, symptoms improve. So they're better than not on anything. But there was still something missing in your body because you were still experiencing symptoms. So then what did you think about or how did you get more help to try and find another missing hormone? Well, it was around that time I actually started listening to your podcasts. I discovered them and I really enjoyed listening to and I've learned so much from you and from my own research really about perimenopause and menopause. And I heard one of yours and it was about, you mentioned testosterone. And I thought, oh, Maybe this is what I need to go and find out about with my GP. 
So I was lucky that I was able to get uh, blood tests in my GP. I know a lot of women, the GPs refuse testosterone blood tests, but I did get one and it came back as virtually non-existent with testosterone. And I then had two or three months of battling with my GP surgery to try and get a prescription for testosterone. And then did you manage to get it eventually? No, they wrote eventually to a gynecologist who wrote back and said to my GP that she would only prescribe testosterone for libido, problems with libido in women. That was all. It's the only thing it would have an impact on. But I, it's interesting, actually, because I know a man who's on testosterone and his testosterone was low, but he was giving a big list of things that testosterone is useful for. Mm. But for women, I was just told it's only libido. So it was refused. And then where did you get it from eventually? Eventually, I paid privately. Mm. I went to see a wonderful menopause specialist and I started testosterone. I'm on Testogel, which is in a man's portions, is it? I don't know what the word is. Yeah, it's a sachet. So you're just using a smaller dose every day, are you? Yeah. yeah. She looked at everything and said, you need testosterone. There's no doubt about it. Your blood, mm. I had, had my blood's done again. It was still non-existent. And I've got a sachet and I put a tenth of a sachet on every day onto my abdomen. And it's improved some of your symptoms? Um, to say it's improved things would be an understatement. I was still only able to walk very short walks, very slow pace, kind of maybe a mile, a mile and a half. I couldn't work for more than, say, 40 minutes at a time without needing a rest. My boss has been amazing. We'd have Zoom meetings with the team and he'd put breaks in every 45 minutes so I could go and lie down and have 15 minutes out. So this is what I was like even with the estrogen. And then Within about three weeks of being on testosterone, I felt this huge change inside me. Mm. Yeah. And I think that was at the point where I actually wrote to you. I wrote to you and I was like, thank you so much for talking about testosterone in women. You've just, Mm. it's been absolutely life changing. From that point, from that shift, I've been on it about six months now. So it's been a very gradual increase over those six months. But I'm now, I mean, I'm laughing, I'm smiling, I'm singing again. I've become opinionated and bolshy again. Physically, I'm starting to, I did a five mile walk on Saturday. Brilliant. With a few hills in, I've started to increase, add a little bit of running into my walks. It's like the push had come back into my legs again, that it completely gone and I'm functioning. I'm a fully functioning human being now. I can be a mum again. I can be a wife again. I can be a friend. I really let my friends down as well throughout this time you know I can drive to go and see my mum again it's been very very transformational hasn't it it's absolutely huge yeah and I know it's often talked about as the icing on the cake but for me it's been a key ingredient yeah yeah and I think this is so interesting and I'm really very um, thankful for you talking so openly because obviously I know it I can hear and see it's bringing out lots of emotions understandably so And it's very interesting, actually. So if I'd met you six, seven years ago, I would have said to you, quite honestly, that I know nothing about testosterone in women. I know that maybe they have it, but no one's told me about it. I don't know anything about the benefits at all. And then when I sat in the first menopause clinic, just after the NICE guidance came out, the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence Guidelines, and they mentioned testosterone can be considered for women with reduced sexual desire. I sat in a couple of clinics and saw some very 
expert gynecologist prescribing testosterone and I said oh I've never prescribed that why do you prescribe it when do you know how to prescribe it how you know all the questions and they said you'll notice once you start prescribing it people will really thank you and then I couldn't just go off and prescribe because I'd seen someone else do it of course you don't do that as a doctor you have to go and read the evidence and work it out for yourself and I was really shocked by how little evidence and studies have been done. And most of the studies have been done looking at libido. And the cynical side of me will say, well, that's because they're being run by men and libido is obviously very important. (laughs) And obviously libido, I'm not undermining libido. It's really crucial for couples, whether they're in a heterosexual or homosexual relationship or whatever relationship they're in. But libido is not just about a hormone. Anyone who's experienced your symptoms is going to have low libido because if you can't get out of bed to make a cup of tea, you're not going to be thinking about a sexual relationship. But we also know that testosterone affects our brains as women. It also affects our muscles. It affects our hearts. It affects our bones. It affects our urinary system. It affects every single area of our body, but it's been neglected for so many years The other thing is, is that we produce three times more testosterone than estrogen. So people talk about estrogen being important, but actually, should we be changing the narrative and saying testosterone is more important and estrogen is the icing on the cake? And I can't answer that question, of course, but they're two very different hormones and they work together and they're produced by the ovaries. So when ovaries stop working or reduce in function, then estrogen declines and testosterone declines. Some women miss estrogen more, some women miss testosterone more, and many women miss both, actually. And so they should be considered in separate hormones in the same way we consider thyroxine and insulin as separate hormones. We don't try and combine them in any way. And the more I prescribe testosterone, the more I've seen over the last five or six years how women's stamina has improved, their mental states improve, their mental clarity, their just joy for life improves. People tell me that their memory has come back, their brain fogs better, their ability to exercise is so much easier, they can build muscle like they haven't before, they often lose weight, their body shape changes because they're not piling on the pounds of fat, they're actually laying down more muscle but they have less muscle and joint pains, their sleep improves. So all these things just make them feel better. There is some evidence that it reduces risk of osteoporosis, heart disease and dementia actually as well. So it's a very good hormone for our future health. So all these things, people will be listening and saying, well, why doesn't everyone get it? Well, it's not licensed for women on the NHS, which in my mind is absolutely scandalous and outrageous that women are not allowed their own hormone back. There used to be a patch that was very expensive, actually, that was allowed to be prescribed through the NHS. And then the company folded and the MHRA decided to withdraw the licence for no real solid reason at all. So men, clearly, as you've quite rightly said, are allowed their own hormone back. They're allowed testosterone. It's the same testosterone, but clearly we produce a lot lower amounts, but it still stimulates our cells. So on the NHS, it is able to prescribe it, but it's off license. So it's still the regulated testosterone and it will have male information all over it, but it is allowed to be prescribed. There is also a female testosterone cream that is only now available privately called Androfem, which is made in Australia. This is again a regulated product. So it's allowed to be prescribed off license, if you like, privately. It costs about 80p a day. 
But the work I'm doing with NHS England, they're really trying to escalate the licensing of this female testosterone cream. And I feel very strongly that they need to be able to do it because there's no reason to say that they shouldn't. And so certainly that is going to be a real priority and they're working behind the scenes on that at the moment. Because I sometimes sort of think myself, how would the world look if women were taking the right hormones? How would it be? Would there be such a thing as chronic fatigue syndrome? Would there be such a condition as fibromyalgia? And now also some of you might know I'm trying to do some work research with long COVID because if you'd experienced COVID infection at the beginning of your symptoms, you would now be diagnosed as long COVID. And actually all the symptoms of long COVID are exactly the same as symptoms of the perimenopause and menopause. I'm not saying long COVID is a hormone deficiency, but I'm saying people are being misdiagnosed. And so it's really crucial that we are allowed to have our own hormones back in a very safe, controlled, regulated way. And I personally take testosterone. I did improve, like you, with some oestrogen. I was lucky my symptoms weren't as bad, but they would have been if I had ignored myself for longer. But I was really struggling to remember things. And my yoga practice was really non-existent. I was just going through the motions. I didn't enjoy it. My joints were stiff. I was just losing muscle tone. And I just felt a shell of myself, actually. And started testosterone. And after a few months, my brain came back. And I quite pride myself. I have amazing ability to multitask. So I can be talking and emailing and texting and thinking about what I'm going to cook for supper at the same time. But I'd missed that for the last 10 years. And I've, my youngest daughter's 10. And I just thought, it's just because I've got three children. I've just having her as being the final nail to the coffin for me to multitask. But it's now come back far better than before I was pregnant. And I wish I'd started it years ago. So there are a lot of women who are perimenopausal, who are still producing oestrogen because they're having periods, but their hormones are starting to decline. And it's very difficult to know. A blood test is not always reliable. It can be useful if it's low. But it's about women recognising the symptoms themselves. And so downloading the app, reading my book, getting the information. But women such as yourself, who are very, you know, action man women, who are very physically fit, very mentally fit, very on the ball, they often miss testosterone more than other women. And it's probably, I don't know what your level was, no one does, 20, 30 years ago, but it was probably higher than women who are more sedentary, who don't have that lifestyle. So if women are sort of evolutionary have a lower testosterone they're not going to miss a decline but if they come from a higher level and especially women with polycystic ovarian syndrome PCOS they often have a higher level of testosterone and they really miss it during the perimenopause and menopause so it's amazing hearing your story and I know I'm a bit nervous about putting this podcast out because there'll be a lot of women saying well I can't get it why can't I get it and one of the doctors that works with me, Dr. Zoe Hudson, has been looking at this postcode lottery and a lot of GPs are not allowed to prescribe testosterone. It's been forbidden by their CCGs. They've not been allowed to prescribe it. So it's not even the GP's fault. So there's a huge piece of work to actually allow women to be able to get their own hormones. But having this conversation is hopefully going to enrage a few more women. So it won't be just us that are frustrated. (laughs) And collectively, we can maybe try and make a bit of a difference by making a noise. But just to reassure you that the work with NHS England is going to get there and it will make a difference. But because we're talking about so many millions of women, it has to be done in a very clever, strategic way. Otherwise, it will fall over very quickly. 
but I'm really hoping that people listening to your story today, Rachel, will, will really resonate and, and think. And I especially really very grateful for you talking about your son and your husband as well, because it's not just about women. Mm-hmm. It's more than that. And I'm really trying to change the narrative about the menopause. It's not a women's health problem. It's a global health problem. It's a mental health problem. It's a physical health problem. It's an economic problem. Wherever you look, it's affecting people. And we need to really be very bold and think about it. So this suffering does not happen again. It really can't continue. So I'm very grateful for your time. It's been really great. But before I finish, could you just give three tips maybe for women who are listening and thinking, right, I really would like testosterone. What three tips do you think you would give them just to try and help them on their journey? You know, I should have thought about this before because I know you do this at the end of a podcast and I didn't. I forgot to do it. I think number one is we have to remember that our GPs aren't trained in perimenopause and menopause in the way that they should be. And that's no fault of their own. So go to your appointment with as much information as you can and including the nice guidelines just so that you can have that factual Mm. conversation with your GP. I think that's very important. Secondly, please don't ever give up. If I'd given up 18 months ago, I probably would have been institutionalized by now. And, you know, I'm not exaggerating. I was very, very poorly indeed. Thirdly, be really, really kind to yourself. It is a difficult time in a woman's life. It certainly changed my outlook on life. And I think in some ways to the better, I've become a lot kinder and gentler with myself. And yeah, be kind to yourself and listen to your body yeah excellent really really good advice which I hope people will hear and take on board and just talk about it as well it's really important and if you don't get your help initially go back see someone else have someone with you to really help prop you up and you know we all deserve to have the right treatment and I really feel very strong and we all deserve to have our own hormones back if that's what we want so Watch this space. Let's see what happens with testosterone prescribing. But I'm feeling quite confident about it. So hopefully we can announce more this time. Really excited. Thanks ever so much, Rachel. It's been really lovely speaking to you today. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, you can go to my website, menopausedoctor.co.uk, or you can download our free app called Balance, available through the App Store and Google Play.